I think the question of getting on with in-laws interested me because I felt I wasn't getting on with my in-laws. And not getting on with them didn't mean we were quarreling. It meant it was a very uncomfortable relationship. When I married as a very young woman, I expected that my husband and I would be forming a new unencumbered partnership, that um, it, would, it would just be us and I would be uh, the A woman in that bit of the family. But that isn't how either he or his parents saw the issue. His parents were very nice people, very well-meaning. I could see how many of the things that I loved in my husband had been developed within their family. They were very good parents. There was uh, no question of that. But I felt that they were, um, they expected me to fill a certain role and, you know, given that generation, my mother-in-law expected me to be a housewife, to put my husband's career first, that my that I should recognize that my husband was the more important one socially than I was. And so I found her presence very oppressive, and she would praise me for things that I didn't value. She would praise me for having perhaps a neat house or um, uh, making sure my husband's shirts were ironed um, or, you know, even being a good, good mother, which was something, of course, we all care about, but I felt it was a way of pinning me into a certain role. Um, so that was the start. Why was I so um, hostile to someone who was so basically well-meaning and such a nice person. It, it, it didn't make sense to me and it, it didn't jibe with my self-image as someone who was normally fair and reasonable because I didn't feel fair and reasonable in their company. I think it's harder for the women because in-law visits take place within the home. Um, that's the place that for all the change there's been, um, women still feel more um, symbolically invested in um, preparing a meal, how they prepare a meal, uh, being in control of a child's behavior and a child's diet. And um, they feel that they should be the A woman in their home. They should have um, their expertise and um, their way of doing things should be uh, respected. And a lot of in-law issues are based around the notion of what is my status in the family and am I respected in the family? And um, are the relationships that I value, are these still safe? And so while a daughter-in-law may be saying, I want control over my children, I want control over mealtimes, I don't want to be told how I really should prepare sprouts or how the dinner really should proceed, I want it my way. A mother-in-law who is suddenly on her son's marriage, no longer next of kin, a mother-in-law may feel, well, where does this leave me? 
Um, and a lot of her apparent intrusiveness or criticism can actually be, can actually emerge from her anxiety about how things are changing and how she might be ousted from her special position vis-a-vis -vis her child and also her access to her grandchildren. How is this going to be affected by her daughter-in-law? If her daughter-in-law seems very unfriendly and wants to freeze her out, then she may, um, you know, ramp up her intrusiveness because she's seeking reassurance that she still is a member of this family, that she still has some influence, that her, she still is worthy of respect, she still has some status, and that she still has a close attachment to her son. Well, when we are with our children, when we're with a partner, we know there are going to be ups and downs in our conversations, that um, someone's going to annoy us and we're going to express that. Uh, we're going to disapprove and we're going to express that. And that isn't going to break the relationship. And that helps us, um, you know, arguing is just part of the daily remit of being with people. And um, if you don't have the assurance that arguing or disagreeing or coming into conflict, if you don't have the assurance that that's basically okay, you lose spontaneity, you become very self-conscious, you feel uncomfortable because you don't know what you can say. So the good behavior syndrome is sort of a, a, a shadow that says, if you're not polite, if everything isn't nice between you, um, if there's any sort of frisson, negative frisson, then things will just disintegrate. Then, you know, everyone can be behaving well and saying nice things, but they're not being spontaneous and they're feeling uncomfortable, they're feeling on guard, and they're not relaxed. They're not going to come out of that exchange and think, well, that was fun, because it wasn't fun. And of course, what happens in such situations, what all too often happens is that, um, you know, you're trying and trying to make nice, and then suddenly you just lose it. And so instead of a flowing argument where you barely notice the, um, you know, the rise and fall of uh, your voice, you get very cross and no one knows what to do because they think this is awful. They think this is unacceptable. And um, everyone, you know, feels that someone must be to blame, that someone's being totally unreasonable and you don't know how to proceed. So the good behavior syndrome just makes things so rigid that you can't adjust, you can't maneuver, you can't finesse things, you know, you, you lose that easy choreography of um, much more comfortable relationships. It has particular implications in an in-law setting because you don't know how to argue, because you're aware, you're under the shadow of, um, you know, the bad in-law image. You don't, the mother-in-law doesn't want to be that awful mother-in-law. Maybe the daughter doesn't want to be that awful daughter-in-law. Um, so you're already dealing with, um, you know, a negative schema. Uh, but the idea of, 
um, you know, having to bite your tongue. Um, if you look in Greek drama, there's um, there there's a very common saying: "An ox has stepped on my tongue," which means you're not allowed to say what you want to say. So, yes, you can see it in the. English reserve, but it is a universal feature of um, living with other people that you learn there are things you can say and things you can't say. What is special, I think, about the in-law relationship is that there are two very different families coming together, and you don't know what you can say and what you can't say. So you try to be very, very nice, because you know that some of the things you say are causing offense, even though you don't know why. This is from the, usually from the mother-in-law's perspective. I know she takes offense at what I say. I offer to do the washing up. I offer to save her a job by doing the ironing. And she shouts at me, you know, she barks and says, the ironing isn't my job. Why do you think it is? You know, I don't understand what's going on. So I don't know what to say. And yet here I am, I'm supposed to say something. And so I'll try to be quite innocuous and quite nice. Um, and that's really pretty boring and unsatisfactory for everyone. That triangle, the mother, son, daughter-in-law, is extremely important, and it uh, affects, often affects the quality of the marriage as well as the quality of the relationship between mother and son. Now, what I found and I think I was surprised by this, um, that sons tend to be very, very loyal to their mothers. It doesn't mean that they're under her thumb. It doesn't mean that they're her little boy, but they tend to be very loyal. And sometimes they feel that setting um, any kind of boundary is being disloyal to her. And a wife may feel that in failing to work with her to set boundaries, that um, her husband is being disloyal to her. It's much easier to set boundaries when it's the wife and husband together, because what you can also do is reassure the mother. I think. I think. Um, the best thing in these circumstances is to work with the son and to say, in setting boundaries, you are not being disloyal to your mother. In setting boundaries, what you can do is you can say to her, we really uh, value your um, participation in this family, your contribution. We will, you will always be a part of this new family unit. Um, but we also want space, time, to feel that we're our own unit. There are some things which we have to discuss together. But I think it's reassuring the son that it's okay to set boundaries, that that, that isn't a way of pushing the mother away. It's a way of adjusting the relationship. And if the son is able to do that, then it's much more likely that he'll be able to ease tension between his wife 
and his mother, his wife, between his wife and his mother, because his wife won't feel that she has to do all the work herself. Sometimes the son wants to stay out of it. Let the women sort this out themselves. I don't really understand what's going on, but I'll let them sort it out themselves. Um, th that will make his wife feel very resentful, and that may increase her tension with the mother-in-law. So looking at that triangle is crucial to understanding and managing in-law relationships. Now, when you talk about trends, of course, there are, there are differences um, in the challenges and in, in, in the patterns of different generations. Today's generation of young people uh, getting married or forming partnerships are often um, dependent on in-laws for practical or financial support maybe for longer than in previous generations, in previous recent generations. But those changes are not going to change the overall pattern. I think it's an enduring pattern that marriage um, creates a little trauma to the family system. It, it, it takes a stranger and brings it into the family and um, and and that ha has to be managed. It raises questions about, particularly from the parents-in-law, how important will I still be? How much influence will I still have? Will I have access to my grandchildren? And some societies have had very brutal ways of um, marking and managing these questions. So it could be that the wife would be severed from her family and she would definitely be a member of the husband's family and they would have power over her. In some um, tribal societies, it was thought that it was extremely rude for the son-in-law to have any contact at all with the mother-in-law. And so these common tensions between in-laws were managed by complete avoidance. It's a practice called mother-in-law avoidance. In such societies, it was actually polite when a mother-in-law came to leave the room. Uh, if you passed her um, on the street, you would turn away. Uh, you know, you really should avoid all contact with her because it was so troublesome. Well, I'm optimistic about the future of family relationships. I think these are going to last. I think um, that's the kind of uh, creature we are. We're very, very attached to other people. We care an enormous amount about our children, and that care tends to be lifelong. And that means that um, when inevitably um, strangers are brought into the family via marriage, we're going to continue to care about our children. But I think the general issue that in-law relationships are inescapable, that they're powerful, and um, it's a challenge to negotiate them, I think that will remain.